You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. My all-time favorite uh, book series slash now movie series world is Lord of the Rings. Any Tolkien fans in the house? Yeah, some hands were going up before I even asked. They were just like excited that this is where we're going today. Um, This is specifically talking about the Fellowship of the Ring. I'm a big Hobbit fan too, but the Fellowship of the Ring, the very first book or movie in the Lord of the Rings series, uh, there's, there's this scene not long after the Fellowship left Rivendell, uh, they're beginning to enter into like more dangerous territory, and Frodo notices that, that someone or, or something is following behind them. And so he kind of comes over to Gandalf in the dark, and, and he brings it up, and he, Gandalf confirms that they're indeed being followed by this mysterious creature, Gollum. He's already been following them for a while. Uh, but then while sitting there in, in the dark together, in a rather hushed voice, Frodo kind of makes this confession to Gandalf. He says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And then Gandalf, in his kindness and his wisdom, responds, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And we're in week three of our sermon series called I Pity the Fool, in which we're exploring the book of Proverbs, uh, looking for wisdom about how to best live our lives, how to, how to best decide what to do with the time that is given us. This is wisdom, figuring out what to do with the time that is given us. And as Reese has already shared, wisdom is the ability to judge correctly and apply the right course of action in order to best live our life. This is, how, this is how we do this. And deciding what to do with the time that is given us, this is, this is what life is all about, right? Life is just a series of decisions, one after the other. Uh, and, and this is no small task. Some of them are, right? But, but really, when the stakes are high is when things get really, really tricky, you know? Um, None of us has ever had the fate of Middle Earth, like, in our, in our hands. Hopefully none of us ever will. But we, but we all do come to important crossroads. We all do find ourselves at points in life where we don't know, do I go to the left? Do I go to the right? Is, is it door number one? Is it door number two? Do I, is option A or option B, Lord, I don't know what to do. And so we need wisdom. And so deciding what to do with the time that is given us is what life is all about. And I've got a question for you today that I would like you to just ponder in your heart before the Lord. What is your current challenging decision? What is your current challenging decision? And again, maybe it's not on the scale of saving the entire world from Sauron, right? but it's important to you. Maybe it's a little lower level and maybe nobody else is gonna really be hugely impacted, but to you it's important and you're not quite sure what to do. And I wanna invite you, first of all, to just hold that decision in your your heart this morning before the Lord. 
And it just, as we talk, like, have that be the thing that you're like, Lord, this is, this is it. And right now, though, I would like to ask you guys for a little bit of crowd participation, if you would be so bold. Would you text me what that decision is? You don't have to. I would like to share a few of these. I, will not, I won't share names. I won't share any, like, incriminating information. But, but if you're trying to make a decision, we want to hear what that is. So... Uh, in like a really short phrase, in a really short sentence, right? Here's my number. It's up on the screen. My phone is ready. If you're online, I'm sorry. I'm not putting my, my phone number on Facebook Live. I don't mind giving it to you guys. But I have lines. I have boundaries. I mean, Facebook already knows everything about me. So does Google. But the rest of the world, I don't know that I really trust them a whole lot. So here, we've got a few coming in, and, and I'll just read these. And, and as I read these, I want us to just hold these before the Lord with these people. When to retire? Next career steps? A financial job decision with a lot of future implications? How to best spend my limited time and energy? My current challenging decision is whether or not to pursue schooling in the career field I'm in right now. But I won't say the rest of it out loud per the instructions in the text. Thanks for the clarity, folks. Buying a house in today's market. How to best parent a particular child. How to prioritize. When to stop working outside the home so that I can be more available for all of our home needs. Witnessing at the time God needs me whether to whether needs me to whether to lost family or to perfect strangers. Where to live. How to steward the rest of my life with declining illness. The need to downsize. Can you, can you resonate with any of these? I know that I can. And just for a moment, let's just pause here and we're going to pray. And, I, and I, I, I have a sense that many of you are also holding a decision that, that you're feeling like, I don't even know that I can text this to someone. I don't even know if I can text this to someone who's not going to read it out loud, right? I don't even know if I can name it. But right now, name it before the Lord. If it's important to you, it's important to him. So God, we come to you right now as humans with a lot of decisions. A lot of them seem kind of minor and maybe inconsequential, but God, these ones that we have named and so many more, God, really feel like just like the weight of the world rests on them for us. They're important to us. And God, we... We don't always know which way to go. So would you give us wisdom? Would you teach us how to decide what to do with the time that is given us? And I pray this morning as we explore this topic of decision-making, Lord, would you speak more loudly than my own? 
Would you allow your scriptures to come alive to us? And would you allow even our own hearts and minds to be melded with yours, that we might know you better, even as we know ourselves better? Give us ears to hear. Amen. Those of you guys who shared, thank you very much for that vulnerability. I honor that. Now, so again, particularly when the stakes are high and the path forward is unclear, what we need is spiritual discernment. When the stakes are high and the path is unclear, what we need is spiritual discernment. Now, and it's, this is kind of the topic we're going to be diving into a bit today, and I think it's important to define it a little bit because it's not quite the same thing as just decision-making. The goal is still to make a decision, right? But, but by pulling from different resources to help us determine what that decision is. Um, author Ruth Haley Barton, who by far, I think, I think Barton is probably one of the leading thinkers and writers in the Christian world today on this subject. She writes this, spiritual discernment is the capacity to recognize and respond to the presence and the activity of God both in the ordinary moments and in the larger decisions of life. And on one hand, this seems kind of simple, right? Okay, we want to recognize when God is around and what he's doing. Sometimes, though, we realize that's not quite so clear. And sometimes then we want to respond to that presence and activity, but then if we're honest, sometimes it's actually hard to respond. We might even feel resistance in ourselves to what God is doing. There might be fear. The risk might seem too high. But this is the nature of spiritual discernment in little things and in big things. And, and it's important, I think, to define these two words a little bit. And I'm following Barton here as well. By spiritual, I mean through, by, with, and in the Holy Spirit. And for us as a vineyard, if you've been around the vineyard for a while, you're like, oh yeah, well, of course, right? If you've come from other traditions and you're visiting today, maybe that's newer to you. But but as Christians, we aim to be fully Trinitarian, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about spiritual discernment, we mean discernment in the Holy Spirit, uh, discernment through the Holy Spirit, discernment with the Holy Spirit, that he is involved in all places. We want to take Jesus seriously at his word when he says in John 16 that the spirit is going to come, he is going to live inside of us, and he is going to do what? Do you guys remember? He will guide us. He will lead us into all truth. Meaning like whatever good thing is up ahead, what the best decision is, we've been given the Holy Spirit. So we aim to take Jesus seriously at this point. And with the Spirit as our guide, we can walk out making decisions even along the most perilous paths. And the second word, discernment, literally means to separate or to discriminate, to determine, uh, to distinguish between two things. Again, which opportunity should I take? Is it door number one? Is it door number two? At this fork in the road, do I go right or left? Well, then we have a decision to make. We have the Holy Spirit to help us make that. And so this morning, though, we're going to get really, really practical. And again, this is kind of the whole thrust of the book of Proverbs. But we're going to get really practical today in this idea of spiritual discernment. And I'm going to give you three essential steps. 
Now, now, this is a massive topic, right? There are entire books written on the subject. There's like PhD theses written on the subject. People have been writing about it for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I'm just giving three, all right? A, because they're in Proverbs. We can see them. Um, B, because I got to simplify it so we can go home at some point. And, and C, because I think these are three that sometimes maybe have not gotten as much airplay in your lives as maybe they deserve, right? So hopefully these will helpful, be helpful. Plus, I think if we remove any one of these, we're, we're kind of setting ourselves up for trouble. So number one, first step in spiritual discernment, begin with holy indifference. Now, if spiritual discernment is like an odd phrase that you're not used to, holy indifference is probably like an even weirder, odder phrase that you're not really used to. So let me explain this. Uh, this concept of holy indifference comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola, um, he's the father of the Jesuits, if you're familiar with them. Uh, quite possibly the single most influential Christian thinker when it comes to spiritual discernment. People are still mining his works for gold that help us do this today. Now, what, what Loyola means by indifference, um, uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that we don't care. In common usage, we use that word indifference to mean like, oh, I'm indifferent, like whatever. It's not really important. Um, it feels very apathetic. It might be in something, we'd, we'd use that in something that we don't feel very passionate about. This is not what Loyola is talking about. What he means by indifference is being indifferent to anything other than the will of God. Before we move forward at all, we have to determine in our hearts and in our minds, am I truly indifferent to like anything other than just the will of God? And this can be tricky because what that means is we have to let go of our agendas. It means we have to not control the outcomes. It means we have to name where our egos are involved. It means we have to name sometimes that even if the outcome that we determine to be God's will goes against the trajectory that my life was even already heading on and the visions and the goals and the agendas I had for myself, even if God's will is not to my liking, I will say yes. And this takes a lot of awareness. This takes a lot of honest interior work because we can't hedge our bets, right? And I have done this, right? God, I'm trying to decide between these two things, you know, and I really, I want to do your will. Because that's the good Sunday school answer. Can we just be honest, right? Like, of course, that's the Sunday school answer. And all of you are sitting there be like, of course, Roger, I know. I am only going to do the will of God. <laughs> okay. I have no other choice other than to believe you. But sometimes we hedge our bets and we say, God, I only want to do your will. And then his will becomes really clear and we're like, well, but I'm really going to do that other thing that I've intended to do all along. We have to make up our minds in advance that we will do it even if it is not to our liking. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, super common proverb. This is, this is a beautiful one for this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So the question is, do, do you want straight paths? This is not rhetorical. Do you want straight paths? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Um, 
Do, do you want to make the best decision possible? Do you want to understand what God's will is? Yeah. Then lean into trust and submission. This is how we get to indifference. We lean into trust and submission. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Trust in God's goodness and kindness with all that you are. Trust in his understanding. Trust that he sees that situation that you're in the midst of and that you can't make a decision about. Trust that he understands it better than you do. And then submit to his will above all else. That's holy indifference. God, you are trustworthy, so I let go of all outcomes into your good hands. Consider for a moment the the examples of Mary and Jesus. Mary being his mom. There's several Marys. When the angel appeared to Mary, bearing witness of God's will for her, I think we can at least sum it up to say like she was shocked. This was not her plan. This was not her agenda. This was setting her life on a drastically different trajectory than where she thought it was going, right? Like, impregnated by the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna carry God's fetus in my womb for nine months? I'm then gonna push that fetus out? I then have to figure out how to raise this child in the midst of the society that is not going to believe any of that backstory. I'm going to have to be a mother? I'm not even a wife yet. She was shocked. And yet look at how she responds. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Trust, submission, holy indifference. Even when the outcome is hard and is not to her liking. And we also see this in her son, Jesus. Now, while giving all credit to the fact that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God, I think Mary also deserves a little bit of credit here for passing on holy indifference to Jesus. I think she's got to get some credit for good parenting, right? Uh, Because how many of you guys know that a parent's favorite story to tell is their children's birth stories? For sake of time, I will not tell mine, but I will tell you that for both of my kids, I was, I was the first person to hold them. I delivered them. The first human to hold them outside of their mom was me. And I tell them these stories all the time. And so I have to believe that young Jesus growing up every now and then was like, you know, Amma, will you, will you tell me the story again? Tell me about the angel. And what did you say? And she's like, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord and let it be to me according to your word. How many times must Jesus have heard this? So fast forward, we get to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, 
yet not my will, but yours be done. Do you hear echoes of his mom in that? Trust, submission, holy indifference, even when the outcome is hard and not to his liking. There's another really great writer that I love. Her name's Adele Albert Calhoun. She's got a book called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And, and in a chapter on discernment, she says, to discern well, we also need the spirit of truth to open our eyes to attachments to things that influence our decision-making. Prestige, personal agendas, comforts, productivity, and so on. We need to confess our agendas and honestly ask the Lord what must die in us for God's will to come forth. May we be like Mary. May we be like Jesus. This requires hard work. It requires honesty. It requires confession. But there's great freedom in it. Um, I would commend this whole book to you. I would also commend, I, I, I've got a PDF of this chapter. And by chapter, I mean, it's like four or five pages long. And it is by far probably the best primer on spiritual discernment that I've ever seen. And I've, I've saved it as a PDF, and it's in Dropbox, and I've shared it with countless people as we've talked about discernment. If you would like access to that, you can go to your program notes right now and just click the little thing that says, like, link to PDF, and you can download it. If, if this is interesting this whole morning, if it's helpful to you, um, her intro to spiritual discernment, I think, is gold. So one, we begin with holy indifference. Number two, pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart, to your inner dynamics, to whatever is going on inside of you, particularly around this situation and decision that you're trying to make. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Now, note carefully what this proverb is not saying. It's, it does not say, above all else, do not trust your heart. That's not what it's saying. It doesn't say, above all else, protect yourself from your evil heart. That's not what it's saying. No, this proverb says, guard your heart. Protect it. Care for it as you, as you would like anything else that is precious to you. Like, defend it against sickness. Defend it against disease. In this metaphorical sense, defend it against evil. Just, just like with our physical body, if we're prone to heart disease, the right response is then not to ignore it, but to attend to it with greater intentionality. My family has a history of heart disease. So a number of months ago, I'm at the doctor. He's like, yeah, Roger, you still got really high blood pressure, and the things we're doing aren't really working. So lisinopril is now my best friend. Now, I could be scared of my heart. I could be scared of the stats my doctor's giving me about the percentages of this jumps that I could be prone to a heart attack. And I could just be scared and just like ignore it. But then I'm just gonna die earlier. And I'm just, I'm trying really hard to not die. So I'm going to the gym, I'm taking lisinopril. Guard your heart, protect it. What this proverb means is you, you are going to live from your heart. You just, you just do. There's the, whatever is inside of you, that is the well from which you pull your life. 
You're going to live from your heart. It's the undeniable center of all your desires and all your decisions, so take care of it. Take care of it. And in order to care for our heart well, we have to understand it. We have to take stock of what state it is in. We have to determine what its needs are. We have to determine what its particular weaknesses are so that we can strengthen them. Now, I know, I, I know, I know that many of us are hearing this and we're like, that just sounds weird. That sounds wrong. And we were, we were raised, if you were, if you were raised in a certain traditions, you may have grown up with this idea that we are supposed to ignore our hearts, that our hearts are nothing but bad. And we've been warned against the dangers of our hearts by verses like this, Jeremiah 17, 9. Outside of Proverbs for a second again, but this is helpful. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Anybody? Anybody ever been like levied this one, right? And which we take to mean, don't trust your inner dynamics. Whatever's going on inside of you is only going to lead you astray. It's not reliable. So we bury our emotions. We sweep our hearts under the rug. And we ignore an important aspect of how God has created us. Now, again, I'm not saying follow your heart. I'm not saying do everything that your heart is saying to do. Proverbs isn't saying that either. I'm saying take care of it. So this idea of like, don't trust your inner dynamics, don't trust your heart, hide everything. I think this is really bad advice. And I would wager it's actually unbiblical advice. If we think this is biblical advice, I think it's because we have misunderstood. And we've misunderstood this verse because we read it as a rhetorical question. What's deceitful above all things? The heart. Who can understand it? We assume the answer is, well, no one, right? Who can understand it? No one. So don't try, ignore it, sweep it away. Lean on other things. But in the very next verse, God himself answers this question. Look at the beginning of verse 10, Jeremiah 17. I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. Who can understand the heart? God. Oh, good. This is good news, guys, right? Because initially we thought it was nobody. (laughs) Now at least we have somebody. And I would just suggest this. I I think if Jesus was to weigh in on this conversation, he might say something like, oh, the heart is deceitful above all things. Well, thankfully, God searches and examines it. The, The heart is beyond cure? Well, with man, this may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I have not come to call the healthy, but the sick. So what's going on inside of us might be challenging to understand, and that's okay, but it means we have a choice. A, we ignore it and pretend like there's nothing going on and nothing worth paying attention to. Or B, we invite God into ourselves to help us understand what's going on, to give us his understanding by his Holy Spirit, trusting that perhaps this is just another way in which we might discern his will. Now, a lot more could be said on this. Again, there's whole books on it. I would would commend to you that chapter by Calhoun. But I think the invitation from the Lord is to say, okay, let me come in. You don't understand it, 
but I do. You feel confused by it all, but I don't. So let me bring you wisdom. So we begin with holy indifference. We pay attention to our heart. And the third step I want to encourage you guys towards today is a simple one. And we've probably heard this one a whole lot more, but we cannot skip this. I've seen more Christians in my days as a pastor probably skip this step and, and lead themselves down a wrong path than maybe any other step. But it's involve community. Involve community. Discernment is a team sport. Spiritual discernment at its best is a team sport, not an individual one. And I would say that especially the more significant or, or the more consequential and important the decision might be, the more people you may need to involve. The more kinds of people you might need to involve. This is a, a really huge theme in Proverbs. I'm just going to read you one of them. Proverbs 15:22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. With many advisors, they succeed. This is a super, super long story, but I will keep it short. The details don't necessarily matter. But one of the biggest decisions, the most challenging decisions, and certainly the most consequential decisions that Angela and I ever faced in our life was, was when we were at this crossroads at our church, Greenleaf, in North Carolina. And this crossroads that we came to felt like this. Option A was... Does God have renewed plans and purposes for this church? Or B, has this church fulfilled God's plans, purposes, and mission? Have we done everything that God said to do? And, and we're done. Or does God have something new up ahead? Now, for pastors in a church at the time that this probably started, the church was maybe 11 and a half, maybe 12 years old. Like, we were invested, and we never saw ourselves doing anything other than that church for the rest of our lives. Nobody plants a church thinking, you know, I'll just do it for a few years, and then we'll close it, you know. Big decision. Big decision. Impacted our lives greatly. The, the church was not small by any means. Around this time, I mean, we're still like 80 people on average or something like that on Sundays, right? So it was not like... Nothing was going wrong. We had a bunch of money in the bank, a bunch of vibrant ministries happening, but we knew this was the decision. Now, I counted it up, and I think over the course of about a year and a half at least, we involved over 45 different people in this discernment process. 25 of those were in the church. 25 of those at a little bit later stages engaged in a six-month communal group discernment process. This decision was way too big for me to make. I wasn't going to make it. Angela wasn't going to make it. Even our leadership team wasn't going to make it. So we reached far and wide. We reached close in. And I think 45 counts as many. So I'm going to say we were being pretty scriptural at that point. But here's some thoughts on inviting community into your process. And think right now about your particular decision. All right, let's circle back to that thing that you were holding. 
Now, someone's not ticking all these boxes. I don't mean this to be a checklist. I just this mean to be like a, in no order. This is just a list of questions to ask yourself. Who knows you well and leads with love? If you need to involve someone, who, who's somebody that already knows you really well, you don't have to explain a lot, and they lead with love? Because if we are not going to make a decision towards love, then we're already going to miss the boat somehow. Um, who might be someone that you have a trusting relationship with, that you can share this thing with them and they're not going to freak out? They're going to be honest with you. They're going to think the best of you. Who, who do you know that has experience in a similar decision? Maybe there's a situation, and you might have to ask around, but maybe there's somebody who's, who's had to make a very similar decision. Invite them into the process. Who else do you know or have access to that's experienced in spiritual discernment? Again, this is a large topic. But who else do you know that has done this in their own lives and has perhaps uh, helped guide other people through a similar process? Um, I I would commend to you our spiritual directors here at Vineyard Augusta. We have like eight trained spiritual directors in our congregation here, which is like amazing. And this is a core thing that each of them has been highly trained in, has had experience in their own lives in. If you want to connect with one of them about this decision you're making, I would say do it. Start there. Um, You can reach out to Angela, and she can connect you with one of them. Um, Who else does this decision inherently involve? They should probably be involved in the decision-making process. If it's going to greatly affect them, their discernment is needed too. Who's, whose life and well-being might be affected by this decision? Maybe some of those people need to be involved. This is why we went broader and broader, because we realized that this decision was going to affect a lot of people. We begin with holy indifference. Pay attention to your heart and involve the community in your discernment process. I want to close by inviting you guys to pray a prayer with me. Why don't you go ahead and stand up? And this is circling back towards this idea of indifference, but you'll see in this, this is a prayer of trust. It's a prayer of submission. It's a prayer for holy indifference. This is also available in in the program. If you're on Facebook Live, you can pull it up in the program. If you just want to grab it and copy-paste it later, you can do that too. This is from Thomas Merton. Why don't you guys pray with me? My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, You will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always. 
Though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen.